last part of James chapter 5 today, uh, his exhortation, James's conclusion. Uh, and the next week we'll do Mother's Day stuff, and the week after that we'll finish it out. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you where we're going after that. You're just going to have to wait and see. So um, today we're in verses uh, 7 through 12 of chapter 5. And this plays directly into what we talked about last week, those first six verses, right, where we talked about riches, both riches meaning money and how that can play into not just money, but earthly possessions, how we can put far too much stock into our earthly possessions and such, and then how that also, uh, the word riches there, when he talks about that, it's also an allegory, right, a metaphor for the unsaved. And so today we're going to talk about the saved, and it doesn't talk about the poor people here. So I just want to tell you, just as last week we said, if you're rich, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. If you are poor, it doesn't mean you are a Christian. Let's just put that out there, right? But we're going to talk about waiting on God a little bit. How many of you in here, by a show of hands, would say, yeah, I'm a pretty patient person? Good three to four hands, which is probably right about the correct number. One of people's favorite things to say to me is, oh, your generation is a me right now generation, yada, 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 you, uh, you all want your stuff right now, your, your smartphones and this and that, and you're right, we do. We don't like to wait for things. You are 100% correct. Show me the generation that did like to wait for things. The only reason that you guys waited for things because you didn't have to the option of not waiting for it. If you had a smartphone in 1960, you would not have been reading the newspaper on the bus. You would have been on your phone. So don't hit me with this, we were so much better than you guys. You might have been, but not in that area, all right? Thank you for coming, you guys, no. Um, we have never been good at waiting, ever. Humanity has never been good at waiting, and especially at waiting on God. Let's read these couple of verses here, verses 7 through 12 uh, of James chapter 5. And they're up there on the screen as usual. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your eyes, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. In case you wanted to know, I also have a little bit of dyslexia. So my brain just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So if you're ever like, that's not what that says. It's not because I'm trying to trick you. It's because I, I can't read it. It's fun time. Let's talk about what this is, right? So number one on your note sheets, if you, grabbed a, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, God is coming. God is coming, right? How does scripture end? I'm coming quickly, right? The last couple of verses in there is all, in Revelation is all about Jesus is coming back quickly. John wrote that on the island of Patmos over 2,000 years ago. I don't know about your definition of quick, but it's not mine, and apparently mine does not line up with God's. God exists outside of time, I know. Still, quick, our definitions don't match. 
This is James, who's a contemporary of John, right? Writing right about the same time frame. And he says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And later on, he says, he's coming quickly. He's coming. So here's the problem. He tells you to be patient, waiting on the Lord. Be patient. Most of you have known me a while now. What is one of the few things I will not pray for somebody for unless they specifically ask me to? Patience. Why? There is only one way to get patience. You must go through trials. The only way to get patience is to be put in situations where you have to be patient. That's it. So I don't pray for it for people unless they're like, I really need patience. And then I warn them. I go, listen, I'll ask for it for you. But I'm telling you, it's not a fun trip. You're not going to have a good time learning patience. Just saying. So if you really don't like somebody, no. But he says be patient. And he talks about a farmer, right? A lot of you in here, I, I know this, have either been a farmer or worked on a farm before, right? It takes time, even if you're just a gardener. You plant, the, my dad loves to garden, right? It's his, I don't get it, I, I don't have a green thumb, I don't enjoy gardening. It's hot, it's sweaty, you're just outside in the dirt. I'm like, no, no. And I don't mind work. I've worked a lot in my life. I just don't want to garden. I don't want to do a job as my hobby, but whatever. He loves it. And he, for the past month and a half, has had little boxes with seeds put in them. It's May. He did this in March in the house. Do you know when he's going to get the fruit of that labor? Like August. Might get some in July. August, September. Months later. Boy, you could go to Rob's Market and get yourself a tomato. Why you got to wait for it to grow? Farmers understand patience because they literally have to wait. Their entire livelihood is based upon waiting. So James says, and they live in agricultural society, right? James says, be like the farmer. And in this time and place, right, we get rain kind of year-round. Yes, it's more snow in the wintertime, but we get rain in the wintertime. So we kind of get rain year-round. In this area of the world, they had two major rainy seasons. And so James says, the farmer waits patiently. He plants right before the first rainy season. He harvests right after the second rainy season. Be like the farmer who's waiting. Now, I'm not drawing a conclusion between great revivals as the rainy seasons. That's not what James is doing here either, okay? What he is saying is you have to wait. You have to wait for the coming of the Lord, and you have to wait on God. Here's the thing about waiting on God and the coming of the Lord. Evil is allowed to endure. Between those rainy seasons, evil is allowed to endure. I had a good friend when I was in high school who, when he was younger was a Christian, uh, you know, went to church and stuff like that. And then uh, as he grew older, he kind of grew away from the faith. And I was talking to him one day, and he goes, I don't understand how you're still a Christian. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, we got older, and you see all the bad, and, and he was a, he employed certain language that I will not employ here this morning. So when I say certain words in your mind, if you'd like to, you can put the correct term in there. You see all the freaking stuff happening all over the world. And this was when we were in high school, so I don't want to make anybody else feel old, but it was 10 years ago that I graduated high school. So we're talking like 12, 13 years ago now, and I look back and I go, what happened to my life? 
those 13 years went quick, but either way. Um, and I said, what do you mean all this evil stuff is happening? We know evil stuff's going to happen. And he goes, if God is so powerful and so good and he's real, evil wouldn't happen like this. And that is a very common idea, including one among Christians that we struggle with. And I'm not asking you not to ask that question because it's an important question to ask. If God, if we believe, and I hope that you do because I do, God is omnipotent, all-powerful. There is no such thing as coincidence because God is in control of everything. And he is all good. Why then is there evil? Shouldn't he have destroyed all of creation the moment Adam and Eve sinned and just started anew? Yes, he should have. I think, if he was going to be the true righteous God, but he's also loving. And there's a key moment in there with love that he said, I want some to come to me so I will allow evil to endure for a time, not forever, for a time. And then evil will get its just rewards. Evil is allowed to endure because God is a loving God and said, fine, I'll make a way. I'll do it. He could have eradicated every, de every angel that fell, every human and all of creation and started fresh, just him and the angels, and there would be no evil in the world. He didn't want to do that. He will read later on in Revelation. He says, I will destroy heaven and earth. Everything of creation that is tainted by sin will be gone and I will make it new. He just chooses not to do it yet. Yet. That is why evil is allowed to endure because of love. So don't ever ask yourself as a Christian, God, why is this evil thing happening? It's going to happen. God, why are the days so evil? Because they're going to be. Because people are evil. Recognize that fact and then it allows you to wait on God. However, number two here, there's a big difference between waiting and doing. Waiting and doing. Excuse me, not a big difference. Those two can be the same thing. So this is your let's apply it section. And this, we're going to spend a good amount of this sermon talking here about how do we apply this waiting to our lives, right? So first off, waiting does not mean doing nothing. Waiting on God means doing what he has asked you to do in the place he has asked you to do it when he has asked you to do it. And you might say, boy, pastor, you've said that a lot over the past couple of months. You're right, because it's the whole crux of our year here, right? When I talked about it at our church business meeting way back in late January, right? Doing what God has asked us to do in the place he has asked us to do it when he has asked you to do it. I hearken back to people like Adam, right? Did Adam go, boy, none of these animals are suitable to be a partner to me. I need a woman. No. God said, hey, Adam, tend the garden, name the animals, and take care of them. And Adam did it. And then God said, now I'll make you your helper. The future doesn't happen until the present has happened. God is not asking you to worry about the future. He's asking you to do exactly what he's asked you to do right now in the place you are in. He's not asking you to worry about tomorrow or 10 years from now or whatever. He's not asking, right, as a pastor, he's not going, hey, Sam, I want you to worry about in 20 years if I call you to a different church. Nope. He's asking me to go, hey, Sam, I've called you to FBC New Milford. Will you do what I'm asking you to do now 
and not worry about anything else? Just take care of what I'm asking you to do right now. And I'm young. Some of you in here, Alvin, you might be the oldest one. Sorry, brother. Sorry. <laughs> and actually, I'm not the youngest one in here. Uh, he is. Your you're, you're baby. So, technically. But no matter the age group, God is asking you to do what he's asked you to do right where he's asked you to do it. And he will let you know when it's time to go somewhere else and do something else. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray and ask God and be like, hey, God, are you telling me to go somewhere else, right? Are you telling me to do something else? I'm not telling you not to go with, to God with these things. I am saying until he makes it clear it's time to go, you do what he asks you to do. The second thing, and boy, I was going to talk about my wife with this one, but I'll talk about me. I love to complain about things. So let me give you a great example, right? So Maddie loves, um, like, like uh, plays musicals, the, the theater, right? I love sitting on my couch and watching sports. She loves dragging me to every single show that's happening in like a hundred billion mile radius. Before I get into this, let me say, I love going to shows with her because she enjoys it and it's good. She loves it and she's happy, so it makes me happy. However, comma, I also thoroughly enjoy, we leave the show, I let her talk to me about all the good stuff that's going on, because I don't want to ruin it for her. So I let her talk to me about all the good stuff, and then I start complaining about, well, they did this, and they did that, and I'm just an old, cantankerous woman stuck in a young man's body. I love my cats, I love my knickknacks, I love people leaving me alone, I like nice sweaters, I'm like, I'm just, I, I don't, I, 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 I love it. It's great. I'm a complainer by nature. I complain about things. And the Bible's pretty clear. Don't complain, and here he takes it a step further. Don't complain about your fellow believers. Your job, if you were wondering, what is it God is asking you to do right now in the place you're in? Let me give you a piece of it. Not all of it, but a piece of it. Uplift, don't tear down. Your job is to uplift the people around you to pick them up, to pour into them joy and encouragement and love, never to tear people down. The popular saying is, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. My dad's favorite popular saying is, if you can't say anything nice, you must be talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm going to amend the entire statement. If you can't say something nice without it sounding bad, don't say it. If you can't give constructive criticism that uplifts, shut your mouth. That's what James says. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted James to say. Right? We love to be like, and I just want to say, nobody in here has done this to me. Nobody in here has done this to me, but I've seen it done to a great many pastors. So please do not be like, he's talking about me. Although if you think I'm talking about you, maybe you should reevaluate some things. But I'm not talking about anybody here. You go up to your pastor and you tell him every little thing that's been done wrong in the service that you didn't like. Every little thing. I'm not saying that every pastor puts their heart and soul into Sunday morning. A lot of them do. 
Do you know the people that tear down pastors the most? It is their congregation. Why pastors leave? It is their congregation that just pulls them down. Not you guys. You guys are excellent uplifters. I want to say that. But a lot of churches just tear down their pastors. They can't do a darn thing right. So they give up. We as Christians are never called to do that. We are called to uplift the people around us. And everything we do and say it should uplift. If you can't give constructive criticism, because there are things that we could do better, right? Even here at FBC, there are things we can do better. But if you can't go up to somebody and be like, hey, what about this in a good way? You shouldn't be the one to say something. I shouldn't be the one to say something. Don't complain. Uplift, not tear down. Secondly, or thirdly, he talks about Job, which is moral integrity, right? Most of you in here know the story of Job. This guy was wealthy, he had a big old family, and Satan came along and said, I can make him curse you. And God said, sure, go ahead, try it. And good old Job over here succeeds. He stands firm on the rock and never curses God. Some of you might not like this, but what was the worst thing Satan did to Job? He left his nagging wife at with him to tell him in his darkest hour to curse God and die. I'm just putting it out there. He took every other member of his family. He left the wife to help tear him down a little more. She could have uplifted him. She didn't. Now, we know that Job gets, uh, I think it's four times the amount of everything he had before. Most people don't get that. Our reward is in heaven. And Job got a reward in heaven as well, but he also got an earthly reward. Most of us aren't going to get an earthly reward. Sorry. But what Job showed is moral integrity. I will do the right thing despite everything that is happening because I'm waiting on the Lord, because I trust him. Be like Job. Have that moral integrity no matter what. And then the last thing he talks about is don't swear. Right? And we're not talking about curse words here. We're talking about oaths and such. Don't take an oath. Don't swear upon things. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be flippant about things. Most of us in here will at least know somebody, and if you don't know somebody who's like this, you are probably like this, sorry, but that you just can't trust what they say. You know, you'll be like, hey, come on over, we're having lunch at noon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then 11.45 rolls around every time, and they call and go, I'm sorry, this came up. And, I can't. and sometimes legitimate things happen, right? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about there's just people you know you can't trust. You can't trust their word. James says, listen, don't swear on anything. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Say what you mean and mean what you say and stop it, end it there. Be trustworthy in your words. So I don't have, you know, last week I had make this list thing. I don't have that for you this week. But take stock of your life and go, am I waiting on God so much that I'm not doing anything at all? because that's not actually waiting on God. That's just called being lazy. Don't be a complainer. Uplift the people around you. Lift them up in the words that you say and the things that you do. Praise them. You never know when somebody desperately just needs to know that they're doing all right. You never know. Uplift the people around you. Be somebody of moral integrity. 
Stand firm upon the rock. Stand firm on Jesus. One of my favorite lines in a song ever is from um, American Dream by Casting Crowns. And he says, I'll take a shack on the rock over a castle in the sand. I love that line because you stand on the rock. And I'd rather live in a one-room shack but be with Jesus than live in a castle but be with the world. Right? I love that. And lastly, be trustworthy in what you say. Be trustworthy in what you say. Say what you mean, mean what you say, and walk in it. Things happen, I understand. I'm not trying to be like, listen, if you say yes, you need to do it. Things happen sometimes. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say yes, no, just do it. Those are the things God's asking, some of the things God is asking us to do and be here on this earth while we're waiting patiently for the second rain, while we're waiting patiently for the return of the Lord. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't. The Bible says nobody does. I look at the world around me and go, boy, we've got to be getting close. But the disciples said that 2,000 plus years ago, and they've been dead 2,000 years. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I do know that we have instructions of what we're supposed to do and live like while we're waiting patiently for the return of the Lord. Let's wait together. Will you pray with me? Father, um, I thank you that you tell us what to do. You don't just leave us floundering out, out in, the, in the ether. You're just like, all right, I'm coming back. Figure it out while I'm gone. No, you leave us a nice list of things, right? You're like the good parent that when you're gone for the weekend, you leave the list of the chores that need to get done and the 20 bucks for pizza. You're great. I thank you that you help us in this. I pray that you would help us to hurry up and wait to recognize that, God, you're coming back, but until you do, we have a job to do. Until you do, we have things we must do. Father, we lift you up. Give us all an excellent week. Put on our hearts, put on our hearts somebody to go and uplift, to go and uplift this week, and then give us the faith to do it. Father, I praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.